by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. What we do on this program is, well, we talk all about the outdoors and hooking and hunting fishing and even wildlife viewing janet because not everyone likes to go out hunting they like to go out and enjoy what wyoming has to offer and uh, you come on every week janet millick from uh, wyoming game and fish department to to bridge the gap between the hunters and the outdoors uh, folks uh, along with you guys there at wyoming game and fish department so that we're all on the same page you know, that's right, Drew. Um, consumptive users, of course, are a big revenue for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And, and a lot of people really enjoy that side of wildlife for, you know, the consumptive use. But there are so many of us that really enjoy the non-consumptive use. And so this is a, a great thing that we're going to talk today is about sage grouse and viewing sage grouse and how to ethically view them as we're getting ready to kind of go into their mating season and the lek you know that's where these these areas where they kind of congregate so when you're viewing leks what you can do and so to do that we brought in our sage grouse sagebrush biologist our expert from wyoming game and fish department nissa whitford Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to discuss uh, sage grouse with you guys today. You know, there may be people that have heard a lot about sage grouse, but maybe haven't watched a sage grouse or seen a sage grouse out in in the wild. And what would they look for if they're looking at a, a bird that they're like, what the heck is that? Would that be a sage grouse? Yeah, so that's a great question. So sage grouse are a chicken-sized bird, and they're the largest grouse species in North America. You know, they really blend into the sagebrush sea. Like, that's their home, and they're kind of those muted, tan, brown colors. The males in the spring, um, when they're um, doing their mating dance, when they're on the lek, they have these white chests and these air sacs, and they kind of puff them up, and they... Um, they create this popping noise with the air sac, but then they also move their wings across the air sac to create this swishing noise. Females, a little smaller, brown, gray, um, very muted tones, and the males are very similar, a little bigger, but with those white chests that you can see when they display. So when they're doing the puffing up and the wing movements, are they basically saying, hey, ladies, come get some? Uh, definitely. So they are trying so hard to attract the ladies with their special dance. And there's been a lot of research on like what makes the dance so amazing. And the males that are having very clean, crisp movements and doing it the fastest and the like, you know, kind of the loudest, they get the most ladies. Um, on a lek, there'll be a lot of males present, but only a handful of them are getting any action. Like what are the numbers on one of the leks? So Wyoming has a wide range of lek sizes. We have some leks with just a handful of birds. And then in those peak population years, some leks, we have close to 300 males on them. Wow. wow. Now you've mentioned lek. Uh, for those that don't know, can you explain what that is? Sure. So a lek is kind of a, this open area in the sage brush where the birds go to congregate. Sometimes it'll be... You know, it's just an area with like good visibility. They're making a lot of sound and noise. And so they want that to carry. So it's just kind of this clearing in the sagebrush, if you will. 
People are going to to watch these birds do their thing in the in the spring. There are multiple places around Wyoming that have this option in the lek, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But are those just focused points? Are they other places other than the the highlighted leks? There's about 2,500 known leks in Wyoming, and about 1,700 of those are occupied. But we have you know, just picked a few and published those on our website. So to kind of congregate that public use to disturb the least amount of birds and to make it as easily for those folks to, you know, access Wyoming's wildlife and enjoy that unique mating display. So there's directions um, and they're a little bit easier to get to from some of our larger, I guess, urban, I hate using the word urban in Wyoming, but our urban areas. (laughs) And obviously the reason that uh, Game and Fish picks these leks that they publicized and give directions to is because they're the ones that people can get to and should be feel comfortable with. Now, when you're visiting one of these leks, what kind of action is there going to be? Is it all day action, like early morning to late afternoon? Well, if they show up Saturday afternoon, they miss the action. Sage grouse, uh, they, you know, Early, early risers, those sage grouse. So you need to arrive at that lek site an hour before sunrise. So get up early, grab your coffee, and then you'll get a good amount of action, uh, lots of you know birds strutting, and then that peters out hour, couple hours after sunrise. Uh, depends on the weather and whatnot, but uh, they're early morning. With us still having a little bit of winter sticking around, how does that weather affect the the sage grouse being on the legs? So sometimes, you know, those sage grouse are very determined, like mating is what they need to be doing. And so oftentimes they are attending the leg, doing the dance, trying to catch the lady's attention, even if we cannot get out to the leg to view that. Um, the snow might prohibit them, um, you know, make them start a a week or two later, but they are um, very timely animals. Like they, they want to do what they want to do, um, even if we can't get out there to observe it. And what time of year are they most? You mentioned once the snow's gone. So are we talking April, May, April through June? Yeah. So the birds can start lecking, uh, de- de- you know, tending those leks um, as early as mid March. Um, and they'll go all the way to almost mid-May. Um, the bulk, I would say the best viewing is in uh, later in April because um, it's when those yearling males, they usually wait to attend the lek or they get kind of driven off the lek by the more senior males. Um, so they are present on the lek a little later. So you might see you know, more of a visual display if you go a little later in April and into May. Where would you find uh, grouse after that time? Are are they in the same general areas, or are they do they just go in hiding? Well, they don't they don't go in hiding. They uh, spend their whole lives in the sagebrush sea, and so most birds stay within you know four to five miles of the lek location. So the hens nest in those areas. The males hang out in those areas. There's exceptions, but that's. That's the general area that they're in year-round. Uh, Nissa, Janet mentioned about the snow now, but what do what do grouse do when there is snow on the ground? Sage grouse usually have great high winter survival. They hang out again in the sagebrush. And so in the winter, they're looking for those more 
kind of windswept ridges or areas of high sagebrush cover. Um, you know, they eat sagebrush primarily in the winter, so they got to be able to get to it. Um, and they're trying to avoid that really deep snow. Like us, it's really tough to move around in the snow, um, in that deep snow. And for them, it's tough to move around, tough to get to their food source. But they're out there in the sagebrush. And, you know, we all notice like the snow is not very consistent across the landscape. And they're hunting, they're looking for those areas that are a little easier to access the sea. Will they migrate to those areas? Um, I don't know that I would use the word migrate, but they will move to those areas. They will search them out. How active is a sage grouse? Is, are they more active in the spring and summer when they can actually move around? And is that why they gain more weight during the winter? Because they don't move around as much? <laughs> they, are, they definitely do um, tend to kind of stay in a fewer spots during the winter. They're seeking out those areas on the landscape with that high sagebrush cover, those kind of windswept ridges. And they don't really deviate too far from that area. Um, whereas in the spring and the summer, you know, they'll move around a little bit more. The lek activity is very, you know, those males dancing, that takes a lot of energy out of them, especially when you think they're doing it from maybe mid-March to mid-May. It's a lot of time, a lot of energy. In the winter, though, you know, sometimes they'll burrow down into the snow to uh, protect themselves from the wind um, and, you know, be a little bit warmer. So they'll do that in response to those really heavy snow depths and they'll just kind of hunker down there. So they're like us in the winter. We don't really get out too much. We had talked about lek viewing and going out and, and watching. And when you go out to see the the grouse, what should you do? What should you keep in mind and, and always remember? I mean, obviously like anything else, you need to respect the, the creature. Absolutely. And, and I can let Nissa handle a lot of this. But first and foremost, I want to say we have an incredible um, LEC viewing guide on our website. So all of this information that we're about to talk about is laid out really, really well on our website. You can download it. You can read it. You can do whatever you would like. But they're really great reminders because there's sometimes there's things that we don't think about, like turn off your vehicle lights and engine. You know, when, when you kind of drive up there, sometimes a lot of us get to stay in our car and, and roll down our windows and it's a cold morning in April. So we keep that thing idling. And, and you know, so there's some, some suggestions on there to turn off your engine and your lights as to not disturb the sage grouse. Yeah, and make sure you get there at the appropriate time. You know, show up an hour before sunrise, as I had said earlier, and then stay for the whole show. You know, enjoy the the display the birds are putting on, take in the sights and the sounds. Um, and then after the birds are done, um, you can leave and go back home. Um, so you'll be sitting in your vehicle for a while with the lights off and the engine off. Also, don't forget to bring your binoculars or your spotting scope. Um, you're not going to be able to pull right up there. Um, you need to keep some distance. You need to give the birds their space. Um, remember, they don't like a lot of disturbance. So um, you want to keep, you know, stay far back and, and use the binoculars or spotting scopes to enjoy them. I mean, we kind of covered this, but stay in your vehicle. You know, just sit there and enjoy the show. 
Um, don't make a lot of loud noises or sudden movements. You know, it's a very sound, rich activity. And so they do not need extra noise or disturbance. Which really uh, points to dogs as well. You know, a lot of us like to haul either our bird dogs or our little lap dogs around with us when we go do some of these things in the out of doors. And in this situation, it's really not okay. Even though we might think that it's okay if they stick in the car with us, we just can't control them and we don't know, you know, how they'll react. And excessive barking might be viewed as a noise disturbance like Nissa was talking about. When you go to one of these designated leks, are there areas for you to park? Is it along the road? You just stay on the road? What What's the best way to pick where you're going to view the sage grouse? Yeah, so they're not so much marked areas, but each of those leks outlined in the viewing guides, you know, some of them have parking instructions, um, or they'll say like, pull off in the clearing here, or park at the cattle guard. So they are giving you some cues in those um, that viewing guide description. Well, Janet and Nessa, we do appreciate it and very excited about being able to go out and check out these sage grouse in their natural habitat. Thanks again for being on the show. If you have any questions for Game and Fish, hit us up in the radio station's app. We're back with Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew and Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, a big sponsor of this program, and we do appreciate that. And Brian, the store open, and uh, you're moving some some good items. I know that people were in last week checking out a lot of the fishing items. You guys have been stocking up and getting things in order for fishing season. Yeah, you know, guys are starting to get the itch, you know. Uh, they've been cooped up in the, the houses all winter long, and now we get a little, some nice days of some sunshine and, and the hope of some ice melting, and guys are jumping in their boats, and they're, they're restocking their tackle. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how important it is to make sure that you're ready to go in that scenario. And with what we're having over the next few days, I hope you don't jump the gun too much. You know, I mean, uh, you got to make sure that you're still kind of winterized until we can get it out there. Yeah. You know, the nice part about uh, those of us that like that early spring fishing is most of us are, you know, inside of an outboard motor, right? So we pull it out of the water, drop the motor, it drains. So, you know, we're pretty much good to go. Just make sure you keep all the water out of your pumps and that kind of stuff. But you got to pick our days. You know, we're, we're everybody's itching, and uh, there's a few lakes that are starting to open up. Now, I, I do know that Riverbend Shooting Preserve has been uh, pretty active lately. A lot of folks doing some clay shooting, and that's one way to keep up on your game when you're uh, maybe your bird hunter throughout the off season is getting out there and shooting. Our bird season just ended on Friday. Now we'll uh, start looking at doing some sporting clays and some five stand out there. And if you just want to get out there and and uh, just brush up and, you know, it's got three different courses out there. Easy just to get along. You know, you can you can usually either park and just walk from each station to station. Uh, but it's a great way to burn, burn an hour or two just to... Uh, just keep shooting. And really, if you're wondering what kind of uh, a shotgun that you need for that, whatever you would hunt your birds with, well, that worked. We're, we're not getting real serious about this, right? We're just, yeah. we're just getting out there and trying to break some clay targets. So, yeah, I mean, most of the time I'm using the same shotgun that I, that I bird hunt with. Now, if someone does want to maybe go off on their property and, and do some clays, I mean, you guys carry a lot of, uh, lot of shooting stuff there as well. 
Yeah, I mean, for a guy that just wants to run out to Coal Mountain and you know shoot a box of clay targets, we've got the clay targets. We've got plenty of trap loads right now. Uh, 410 still really tough, but we're starting to get some good inventory on 20 gauge and 12 gauge, and we've got hand throwers. You know, everything you need just to go out and have a good time. And of course, with this beautiful weather that we've had on a few days here or there, <laughs> uh, you, you got the smokers. You got a good line of smokers too. Yeah, well, you know, now we're just kind of looking at uh, processing a lot of our game from the from the winter ones, and you know, maybe we're making our our piles of jerky to throw in the boat or to take camping, or uh, maybe you need just a portable trigger or uh, some type of a grill to to take out, uh, you know, alcova when you go out for the weekend. So we've got all those uh, Coleman road trips, um, all those those portable grills and portable trigger smokers as well. Now, one thing that I enjoy doing every year is going out camping. And the camping uh, experience is a lot like the fishing experience. you got to make sure that all of your gear is up to date and up to par. Yeah, I mean, mean, some guys are just, you know, camping out of the back of their vehicle. And then there's others that are pulling big fifth wheels and they don't have to do a whole lot of prep work, just kind of restock a little bit. But, you know, back in, you know, when I was just starting off camping, you know, I just had a storage tote that kind of had my my Coleman stove, my bottles of propane. You know, everything you would need would just fit pretty much in a a storage tote, go in the back trunk of your car, and then there you go. Yeah, my setup is, is that. I've got my tent, my sleeping bag, and my uh, Rubbermaid tote, and I'm on the road. There, there's not a whole lot of of uh, preparing to go because it's all ready to go. And that's another great thing about Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is if you don't have one of those totes put together, you could come through the camping aisle and just knock that out. Yeah, pretty easy to do, you know, and, and uh, you know, water storage, you know, uh, luggable loos for, you know, the yeah. the, the portable uh, <laughs> toilets, uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we have really everything you would need to get you going. Well, come on out and check them out at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. No matter what you need for the outdoors, uh, hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, even uh, gun storage, lots of great safes and locks. Come on in and see them anytime at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Back with Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is with me. And Brian, I heard a report that up on Alcova, there's still up to 18 inches of ice. Yeah, well, I also heard a report that there was guys uh, fishing out of boats and guys fishing on the ice. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's kind of a, a smorgasbord of fishing right now as... Uh, parts of the lake are open, but most of it are, are still covered in, in ice. Yeah, you know, we just got done with that big flushing flow that through the North Platte. So, you know, they had 10 solid days of running 4,000 uh, cubic feet of water through there. And uh, so if you noticed, you know, a lot of people would say like, yeah, I noticed the water was high in town. And then the next morning it was down again. They're like, well, what's going on here? Well... That, that that's done. So now all that water, you know, that was going through Alcova is kind of helping break some of that ice up. And then that water that's flowing down, uh, that's going to be hitting Glendo here pretty soon. Uh, that's going to that's going to make a big difference on getting that opened up as well. Which that's what the water that's being released was designated for. They just do it at a higher rate. 
so that it gets to Glendo. You know, Glendo is really there just as a, you know, um, f- flood control more than anything and, and, uh, and some irrigation, obviously. But uh, they'll, they almost always, you know, it's just very, very seasonally what happens is they drop that lake down to about 20% in the fall. And then all winter long, as we get snow and melt off and run off and all that kind of stuff, the the lake just generally kind of gra- gradually just goes up and up and up. And, you know, I think it's at somewhere in the mid 40 percent range right now. But that's why, you know, ice fishermen sometimes will have that problem where last week they were everything was good. We got a little more runoff. The lake starts filling up. Now the ice starts pulling away from shore. And you talk, you hear guys talking about getting on the ice using planks. Well, because as that ice comes up, it pulls further. As the water comes up, the ice pulls away from shore. Which this is an interesting scenario. So you were at 20% up to 40%. And when it's at 20%, all those fish are clumped together. And as the water levels go up, they spread out. Uh, how will you determine where to fish and how to find them? You know, it still it still has a lot to do with uh, forage and water temperature. So even though the water is coming up, you know, those those fish are still probably a little bit in a dormant state. Maybe they're going to start feeding a little bit more than they have been, but they're still they're still very relevant to what the forage base is. So if those shad are sitting down there in sixty foot of water, that's probably where those fish are going to going to continue to be. As the water temperature uh, water temperature rises and it gets a little bit warmer. Now the shad move into some, you know, different thermoclines, different depth, water depths, and eventually those those shad are going to find shallow water so they can spawn. It's really just kind of again watching graphs and and just watching water temperatures and seeing what those fish are doing. We're uh, we're kind of at this this area of the year that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks because everybody wants it to be boat fishing time, but ice is still on and safety on that ice is uh, very big importance but after this flushing flow has pushed the water through i mean it's made a big difference in the clarity of the water and and all the stuff in in north platte the difference is greatly noticeable yeah i mean the the river looks fantastic right now of course we've had cold weather and so we haven't had the runoff so all of the creeks and all those small tributaries that normally dump into the river are still froze and we're not we're not seeing that that runoff but once we start seeing that runoff especially on the river where where those creeks are running in it's going to start getting real muddy and so getting up a, a, above and ahead of uh, that mud line um is going to be important. The mud line and the mud down at Glendo and some of the reservoirs, the muddy water tends to warm up faster. It's it's darker, it's deep, it's 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 just holds that the the heat from the sun in there a little bit better. So the muddy water will tend to warm up a little bit quicker and that will affect the fish too. You know, a lot of times that mud, especially on a reservoir system, is only in the the top surface column like maybe the first 3 to 5 feet. Sometimes you can see it with a with the graph. Don't be afraid to fish the mud. I mean, the, the, the fish, you know, a lot of times will get, get there for protection, especially those walleyes that don't like that bright sunshine. And a lot of times that water is a little bit warmer. So it's been forecasted that we could experience some very heavy flooding this year. Um, uh, how will that affect the fishing, especially on the river? If, does that really affect anything other than the fact you may have a problem wading in it? You know, uh, the fish just re- act differently. You know, sometimes, you know, the 
the fly fishermen are, are fishing a seam like towards the center of the river, um, looking for oxygenated water. If that water's higher, now maybe you've got some, maybe the fish will move to the banks a little bit. Um, it, it can affect a, a few different things. Um, same, same thing in the reservoir system, you know, just, you know, typically we've talked in the past, you know, when the water's rising, we fish shallow. And so, but that also has to do with water temperature and clarity as well. So just because the water's coming up, if the water's only 40 degrees, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the fish are going to be there feeding. They might still be in a little bit deeper water chasing those um, shad or whatever bait fish they're after. So every year, you know, sometimes sometimes the history repeats itself and, and you get the same bite every year. But yeah, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of water on the mountains right now. And if we get a lot of uh, warm weather days in a row, um, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna make a mess of things. It sure is. And they're talking. I think 2011 was the last time that they predicted the kind of flooding that they're thinking, because we're all excited that there's actual snow melt that's going to happen. It's really a good time, Brian, for you guys at the North Platte Walleyes Unlimited. Your banquet's coming up, and you got a lot of things going on this year. And uh, you've also got the Wyoming Walleye Stampede coming. Yeah, you know, the uh, Walleye Banquet's coming up on April 15th, and we were officially sold out. Wow, so that's awesome. So there's 350 uh, seats taken at that event out at the hangar. If you missed out this year, don't uh, be afraid to get a hold of us early next year because uh, that is one of the probably – in my opinion, one of the best events in, in town. All the money stays in town, and it's all-you-can-eat walleye. You can't go wrong. It was it was good last year, that's for sure. But uh, also one of the things you guys do is you help kids and families get into to fishing at a younger age. Yeah, North Platte Walleyes has been around for just about 25, maybe just a little over 25 years. It's kind of a sleeper club, you know. I mean, it, it does a lot of great things, but you have probably seen their fishing poles or their life jackets, or you've probably seen something that they've actually done in the community, uh, life jacket loaner program. So all these, uh, Murad Park, where you see the stands that has the life jackets yeah. there. The North Platte Walleyes originally worked with the fire department to set those stands up and to actually supply the life jackets for those. And and that's all through the North Platte system. You'll see them down at Glendale. You'll see them at Pathfinder. So that was one of the big things. They've started a scholarship program up at Casper College for anybody that's going into uh, the biology fields. So hoping to get some wildlife biologists out of that program. If you do have a, an organization or you have an event that you think you want to um, help uh, supply some fishing poles, uh, give us a call. You can contact us through the through the website at North Platte Walleyes Unlimited. Doing lots of good things for uh, kids, families, and other organizations. Now, Brian, you're still taking entries for the Wyoming Walleye Stampede, which I believe kicks off in May. Yeah, our first event is May 13th and 14th uh, at Glendo Reservoir. Uh, entries are looking good, so we're going to have another another good full field of uh, anglers on that event. And um, if if it fishes anything close to last year, it's going to be another exciting year in terms of quality of fish and just, I mean, a guy can go out and just, you know, be successful catching on fish. Well, uh, if you have any questions about fishing or the outdoors, stop in and see them at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Good morning. I am Drew. Thank you so much for tuning in. And a few years ago, I got an opportunity to to know a fella that, uh, well, he's really appealing to uh, the outdoor man. His name's Steve Conover. Steve has been doing music for quite some time now, and 
when you have a name like Hardcore Hunting Music, Steve, I mean, uh, you're right up our alley. That's a good thing. Steve, I want to go back from the beginning with you. You've got a, a really good story. You've been doing the music thing for quite a while, but kind of give us a background of your story. In the mid-90s, I, w- I owned a country western bar uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., Camp Springs, Maryland, where Andrews Air Force Base is, called Cotton Eye Joe's Saloon. And uh, we closed it down. I had just gotten married, and my wife was from Louisiana, and I had been making the trips to Nashville and trying to do the Nashville thing, trying to get a songwriter thing going. And I never really had the ambition to ride around on a bus for eight months out of the year and sing live. I enjoy singing live, but that wasn't my thing. It was songwriting. I never could really get anything going kind of gave up on that and we decided to move back to where where she was from in in uh, West Monroe, Louisiana. Just kind of start over and 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 enjoy that lifestyle, hunting, fishing, you know, it's sportsman's paradise is the logo for the state. Moved down there and and I wasn't a, really a spiritual guy or a religious guy of, of of any sort, but I was kind of seeking, you know, some meaning in life so to speak and and uh, I got invited to go on a catfishing adventure one night with a bunch of guys. It was a bunch of guys with really big beards. Yeah. So, and, uh, so before you go on, let's kind of yeah. do a little addition and subtraction on this. Yeah. So you're in West Monroe, Louisiana. Right. You're going on a catfishing adventure with bearded men from West yeah. Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah, and a lot of people are going to know where, where we're going already. <laughs> And, and and I wasn't really big time into hunting and fishing, more fishing than hunting at that point in my life. And they had become, a couple of them were kind of famous in a, in a very small arena. We'll get to that shortly. But I wouldn't have known them from Adam. Uh, I was more petrified about getting in these little John boats running down a river in the night, you know, with all these big guys that look like they wanted to eat me, basically. And... Uh, but I was assured that these were all really good guys, and it didn't take me long to figure out that that that, that was the truth. They were all amazing people, and and that night literally changed the course and direction of my life. We got set up on a river bank, and the fish weren't biting, and it was January 23rd, 1997. I will never forget it. In North Louisiana in January, it's either 80 or 20. Yeah. <laughs> and this night, it was kind of warm. It was It was probably in, in the 40s or 50s. Fish weren't biting. It was a beautiful night. And uh, one of the guys came down and sat next to me and asked me a question. Just kind of rocked my world. He just sat down and said, your name's Conover, right? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, "He said I'm Jace. He said, uh, let me ask you a question. He goes, do you know what happens when you die? And I said, nope. He said, do you ever think about it? And I said, nope. And he said, why not? And I said, because it's not fun to think about. That conversation took flight and lasted pretty much all night long. As the sun was coming up, I was in the river with Jace Robertson, and he was baptizing me. Wow. You know, it, it was it was just one of those, like we said earlier, one of those places in life where you know there's a God, and uh, he reaches down and, and, and lets you know it. That was a defining and a transitional moment for me, but, but what ended up happening was, I was still kind of allergic to the church building, still kind of am. Uh, and, and Jay said, well, we do these things called, we do house church on Sunday night. 
you know, I do one at my house, but it's a younger crowd. I mean, I was, what, 32 at the time, and he was much younger than that. He said, but you might like my dad's a little bit better. He uh, gave me the number and uh, directions how to get down to Phil and Kay's house on the river. Wound up down there, still had no clue who Phil Robertson was. I mean, he was still, at that point in 97, he was, you know, the duck commander. He was working on Duckman 3. It was a VHS tape back then. They didn't have DVDs yet. What kind of happened? Because we, we got to talking and, and uh, you know, if you know Phil, he's, he's, he's a really curious man. Very loving, very, uh, but very blunt and curious. Yeah, he, he doesn't hold any punches when he's talking to you. No. And so he started asking me about, you know, I owned a bar. He came out of that scene. He, he, he knows exactly where I had been and what I had been doing <laughs> for, for quite a long time. And uh, talked about songwriting and everything. And then I guess it was probably about the third or fourth house church. I hadn't been to the church building yet. I got down there a little bit early. And me and Phil and Uncle Cy, a guy named uh, Dane, they call him Burley, were sitting down there drinking coffee about an hour before house church started. He said, Conover, he calls me Conover. He calls me by my last name. He calls everybody by their last name. He said, Conover, we're, we're putting together, and Gary Stevenson was, was the guy that did his videography and stuff back then. And he said, Stevenson's put, putting together our, our, our next Duck Bend video. He goes, we have to buy this music from Nashville. He goes, I think it sounds like porn music. It's not very good. He said, you're a songwriter. Can you write us some original stuff about duck hunting? And I'm like, I guess. I don't know anything about duck hunting. He said, well, we can fix that. So they they took me on a wood duck hunt, and then it was a Sunday morning hunt towards the end of the season there. I was sitting in a duck blind. The sun was just starting to come up in the swamp, and you could hear everything. And we were drinking coffee, and, and Phil always prays before shooting hours, and he had just prayed. And while he was praying, just I was in the flow state. You know, that state, like when you're on a road trip and you've driven for 200 miles and somebody honks a horn and you wake up like, holy crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where have I been? <laughs> yeah. That's the place that I write music from. And, and I was there. Took a sip of coffee and I looked up across that swamp and that sunrise and I said, Phil, I just wrote the first song. And he said, just now? I said, yeah, just the, the whole thing is there. And he just shook his head and he said, he said, kind of, you are one weird cat. <laughs> and, it, and it started from there. And, and over the next few weeks, I pretty much wrote a, a CD worth of music. It was a cassette tape at first. That's how, <laughs> that's how long ago it was. It was eight songs on a cassette tape. And then over the next probably year, I wrote more and we did and ended up doing a CD. But The Life of a Duck Man was that song I wrote in the blind and a song called Duck Doctor. Both ended up on Duckman 3 and it just kind of went from there. And, it, and I, I shared recently and you saw that, that a song off that project called Cut Em All Jack is by far my most streamed song. Has has been streamed by over two million people, in over seventy countries. And if you had told me that right then, I would have laughed you out of that box. Does the appeal of the Robertson clan, as people have watched the show and and they kind of put two and two together, and maybe see that relationship? 
what's cool about that relationship and, and what I love about Phil and what he does in production work is he's not an overt seller of things. Like if you watch any of the Duckman DVDs, he doesn't outright sell anything, but he uses product and they produce it in a way where you can see the product they use, but they don't sell anything ever. And I think because of that, because they use my music, it, it kind of is even, it even strengthens it. The way it all went down, I was literally baptized into hit their life before I started writing the music. So then the music just embodied that whole scene and, and, and it took a life of its own. So, if, you know, if you listen to, you know, the life of a duck band or cut them all Jack or, or even some of the funnier songs like 30 pound duck, which was <laughs> inspired by Cy fibbing about the size of, of animals he's killed <laughs> and, and even fictitious animals like the famous black Panther that he supposedly sees all the time. That's inspired by that. So there's some funny aspects of it. There's a deeply spiritual aspect to all of my music. And and then there's this edgy, hardcore, this is what life is about. It's like all the people that tell you, I get closer to God when I go hunting and fishing than I ever do sitting in a church building. That's what our music's about. And that's what Phil's life is about. It's about communing and fellowshipping with God right there in the great outdoors. How many songs you, you have somewhere over all, over 30 songs yeah. now, uh, all stemming from just a few nights there in West Monroe. But yeah, most, most of the hunting and fishing music really came out of that first year, you know, basically at Phil's feet every Sunday night, <laughs> taking it all in. And that's where it all comes from. Uh, hardcore yeah. hunting music on Facebook is where you can go. SteveConoverMusic.com. Over 2 million streams on Cut Em All Jack. So uh, what we're going to do, Steve, is we're going to uh, we're gonna play Cut Em All Jack here so people can get it. Uh, and obviously, uh, can go and buy any of the, the music that you have available and add to those 2 million streams. It's on every platform out there, so have all you can eat. If you're on Spotify for free, get it all for free. Awesome. Very good. Steve Conover, man. I appreciate you coming on and, and always love hearing your story. It's, it's inspirational and, and, uh, and the end result, I think, uh, really got you to where you want to be, right? Absolutely. And great for having me on to share. I love doing it. Very good. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. All right, guys, this song is called Cut 'em All Jack, written with the Robertson family, duck hunting in West Monroe, Louisiana. On Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Cut a mall jack, 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 cut a mall boys, cut a mall. Cut a mall jack, cut a mall jack, cut a mall jack.
It's Cut Them All Jack from Steve Conover, a good friend of mine, wrote those songs for the Robertsons and some of their uh, earlier uh, DVDs before they became the Duck Dynasty. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about Steve, you can hit him up online, steveconovermusic.com, or like his Facebook page, uh, Hardcore Hunting Music. Thanks again for tuning in to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, presented by Rocky Mountain Discount Sports and the Brooks Company. We're back next week with another great episode. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.